So we're in our series, Spiritual Affluence. And if you remember, the definition is our spiritual affluence is the abundance of opportunities of our spiritual lives, the abundance of opportunities of our spiritual lives. So last week we learned from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, that our spiritual affluence came our way because God saw our struggle. Remember our struggle with sin? We all have that struggle. And he had a remedy for that struggle, which was his son Jesus dying on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And now he desires us to actually point other people to him when they're in that struggle. He desires us to point other people to him while they're in that struggle. So we ended last week and I spent some time on Ephesians 2, 10, which says this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the concept that Paul is teaching in verse 10 is that we should work for God on behalf of others so they can be redeemed from their struggle. Remember, we don't do good works to be accepted by God. We do good works because we are accepted by God through Christ Jesus. So now that you are a believer, at times in your Christian life, you might start to think like, okay, this Christian life is just all about me. It's not about working for God on behalf of others. It's about all about me. You start to become a customer of the Christian faith instead of a worker in the Christian faith. So what does that really mean? Well, sometimes we fall into the trap of kind of shopping for what we want out of the Christian faith and not looking at our faith as an inspiration to work for God on behalf of others. So we become a customer instead of a worker. And you all know this, there's a huge difference between workers and customers. A worker works for the company and their work actually benefits the people who consume the product. So a customer shops for what they want and calls on the worker to help. So it's a lot different. I mean, you go into Walmart or any of the stores as a customer, your role is very different, or if you work there, your role is very different. So in the Christian faith, our goal is to be a worker. In the Christian faith, our goal is to be a worker. So I want to use three areas of the Christian life as an example to kind of compare and contrast the difference between a customer and a worker. And the first area, of course, is the church. Now, if you're in a church and you have a customer mentality, you're going to ask questions like this. What can this church do for me? Does this church have the program? Does this church do the things that I think this church should do? Now, I'm not saying these are bad questions to ask, but when you become a customer and treat the church as if it's kind of like an all-inclusive vacation, what can I do? I just check in and everything kind of comes my way and everything is done for my benefit. At some point, you need to actually make a transition and you actually need to become a worker because here's what workers ask. A worker asks this, what can I do to work in the church? How can I help? How can I use my gifts, talents, and abilities to start new ministries? How can I take desires of my heart, of things that I see that I would like to be done, and actually put them into action? You become a worker in the church. So when you become a worker in the church, you become invested in the mission of the church. 
And as a customer, here's what's going to happen. And this happens all the time. I've been a pastor for a very long time. If you become a customer, you'll eventually move on and search for better service. That's what happens. You'll move on. And all of you have seen people like that. They, they come in for just the time. Oh, I like this. This is what I need. This is how I think it should be. And then one thing goes the way that they don't think it should go, or they're not happy with something, and they go and seek out better service. And most of you know this. Most of you know this. If you continue to do that in your life, here's what's going to happen. You're just going to bounce from church to church to church because your mindset is wrong. You're a customer and you're not a worker. The next area of your Christian life is your emotional life. The customer mentality asks this, how can my faith make me feel good? When things are going well, I'm excited about my faith. And when things are not going well, I question my faith. You see, the worker asks this, what can I do daily to foster a strong faith in my life? How can I work on this? What are the steps that I need to take? So no matter whether things are going well or things are not going well, the worker mentality, what happens is we start to foster our faith. But the customer mentality kind of looks and says, well, I was feeling pretty good about God beforehand, but now things aren't really going my way, so I don't know if I'm really that interested in this anymore. You see, when you become a worker in your emotional life, you become more stable in your faith, and you deal with the ups and downs of your emotions based on who God is and what he has done, not based on how good you feel that day. When you become a worker in your emotional life, you will strengthen your faith. But here's what happens. When you're a customer in your emotional life, you eventually start looking for other places to make yourself feel emotionally stable. That's when you hear people say, oh, I tried that church and Christian thing, but it really didn't work for me. It really didn't work for me. The final area of our Christian life is our relationship. The customer mentality asks, is the faith providing me with a social life? Is my faith community meeting all my needs and doing what I expect them to do? You see, the worker asks this, what am I putting into the relationships I have? How am I encouraging and inspiring others to follow Jesus? How am I trying to meet the needs of the people around me? You see, when you become a worker in your relationships, you start to realize a life spent helping and benefiting other people and pointing them to Jesus is the fulfilling life. We're not coming here to find what we need in relationships. We're coming here to give out what other people need. And do you see how that works? If everybody's doing that, what happens? The needs are being met. See, when you're a customer, you'll eventually be let down and discourage. I've said this time and again because we've all seen this in the Christian faith. You see leaders fall, people fall, people disappoint you. And I've said this to myself so many times. There is not one person in this world that is a Christian that could do something and fall away from the faith that would actually harm my personal faith. Because my faith is in Jesus, not in the people. Okay, my faith is in Jesus, not in the leaders. See, a customer mentality with relationships looks and gets discouraged about their faith because of the relationships that have gone wrong. But do you realize as believers, we're not only workers, but we're actually workers in, I'm going to say, the family business, okay? I believe now in Ephesians 2, 
11 through 22, which is the next chunk, next passage we're going to go through, that the Apostle Paul gives us three reasons why we should be workers and not customers. And these reasons really hinge on our spiritual affluence, the abundance of opportunities of our spiritual lives that are afforded because we were brought into the family. We're brought into the family. We're brought into the family business, and God wants us to be workers in that family. So first is this. In order to be a worker, you need to remember where you once were. You had no spiritual affluence, okay? We had no spiritual affluence. We had no abundance of opportunities. But God came to us. The Apostle Paul says in this passage, he's speaking directly to the Gentiles. So basically, by and large, most of us are Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. But God was speaking, or Paul was speaking specifically to the Gentiles of that day. But obviously, we could apply it to ourselves. So he says this. In Ephesians 2, 11 through 12, it says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You see, the Gentiles were called the uncircumcision because they didn't have a covenant with God like the Jewish people did. So as a Gentile, there were actually five things that Paul points out that they were really without and that we were without as well. The first is this. They were without Christ. Before Jesus was preached to them and before they believed, they did not have Christ. They did not know him. They did not trust him. Next, they were without citizenship, it says. So Israel was God's nation, was God's chosen nation to work his plan through. So Israel was God's nation, and the Gentiles were actually not accepted in that nation. They were outcasts when it came to the Jewish people. They were without covenants, meaning this. Although the promised blessings God made to Abraham did eventually reach the Gentiles through Jesus, when God said to Abraham, There'll be, your, my, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, uh, that's us, right? But although that covenant was to Abraham, to his descendants, God never actually made any covenants with the Gentiles. That is why they are called strangers to these covenants. Next, they were without hope. One of the things that was going on that day, there was a lot of pagan philosophies and idol worship. And because they were trusting in those things, they had no hope. It's pretty similar to today. When people trust in things that are not Jesus, they have no real hope. And as a result, they were without God. God worked through the Jewish people to bring the Messiah, Jesus, and the Gentiles did not pay attention to those prophecies, did not pay attention to the word at that time. Remember, this is before the New Testament was even done. They were living the New Testament. So Paul, though, is saying all these things in the past tense. Okay, He's saying these things in the past tense because he's talking to a group of people and he's telling them, this is what it looked like before you trusted in Jesus. You were lost and God was communicating to all people 
through his nation Israel. Now that you've trusted in the gospel, he's calling you to be a worker of the gospel. Now, what does that mean, trust in the gospel? Well, the truth is this. We are all sinners. And because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from God for eternity. But God in his great love sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Three days later, he rose again to prove that he is God. And the scriptures tell us this. All who believe will have eternal life. That's the beautiful gospel message. And since there is still a division between the Jews and the Gentiles at that time, basically what he was saying, what Paul was saying is, listen, now you're brought into the family. Now you trusted in Christ. These are all things past tense. So these things that you were without, you've trusted in Christ. You're part of the family now. What you need to do next as believers is you need to realize you're working together now in this family of faith, or you, to use the term, in this family business. Now I need you to be a worker. I need you to actually follow after me and work for me. See, having a job and working for someone is really one thing, but if you're in the family business, you have a lot at stake, don't you? I don't know if anybody here has a family business, but you know there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure to be in the family business. Now, God does not put pressure on us because that's not how he interacts with us, but we have a lot at stake because we are a family. So let's see what Ephesians 2, 13 through 19 says about that. I'm going to start with just verse 13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off and have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You or we are brought near to God through Jesus's sacrifice, or in other words, we were brought into the family. No one can be in the family of God if they reject Jesus. Let me repeat that. No one can be in the family of God if they reject Jesus. So if you know someone that says, well, you know, I don't know about that Jesus, but I do believe in God and like, you know, I'm a spiritual person. They're not in the same family as us, okay? Through Jesus, that would be rejecting God. If you don't trust Jesus, you're rejecting God himself. So what does it mean to be brought in the family, or what does it look like? Well, first, there's peace between Jews and Gentiles when we believe in Jesus. Let's look at verse 14. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. Now, historically, it was Jews and Gentiles. That's, where, that's the life that they were living. But now, what he's saying is this, what Paul is saying is, this message is for all. Jews and Gentiles. There was two before, but now there is one. We are brought together in the same family. All who believe in Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. All who believe in Jesus. We are now Christians. The term Christian came up as follower of Christ. Brought together in Christ. So in Jesus, we're all the same family. No matter who you are or where you're from. We're brought into that family, the family business, to be workers there. In Jesus, we're in the same family, but next we see in this passage, starting off in verse 16, that we now have 
peace between us and God. Let's look at verse 16. It says, reconciling us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So those who are far off were the Gentiles, the very people that Paul was talking to, and those who were near were the Jewish people. And some of you say, well, why were they near and the Gentiles were far off? Well, the Jewish people had every opportunity. They had all the prophets. They had the word. They had all the, all, all the opportunities to see who God really was. That's why it was such a travesty when many of the Jewish people rejected Jesus, rejected his claim. And that's why Jesus challenged them and said, you're reading these scriptures and you don't even understand what you're reading. You're not even applying what you're reading. You don't even see that I am the exact fulfillment of these scriptures. So they were near and they still did not see. The Gentiles were far off and some did not see as well. So the reason this passage says this is because the Jewish people had every opportunity to see who God was. And because he used their nation to communicate to all people. Jesus obviously was Jewish. So when those that are near and far from God believe in Jesus as their Savior, they're unified, this passage tells us, under God the Father. We're unified together with all believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And guess what? We're called to work together. We're called to work together in this family business or this household of faith, which brings us to really our final point, which is in order to be a worker, you need to understand your role and your work. So picking up in Ephesians 2.20, it says this, Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what is the role and the work that this passage is talking about? Well, the first is this. We need to know the word. As believers, we need to know the word. This passage says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Okay, guess how we got the word? Through the apostles and the prophets. Okay, God called them to pen his word down, to, to um, see these things happen and pen these things. That is the word of God, and our role and work as believers is to commit to learning more about God through his word. Now, as believers, I mean, I bang this drum all the time. You know this. We stick with God's word. We love God's word. We study God's word. In our culture right now, we have no excuse not to be immersing ourselves in God's word. We have Bible studies, podcasts, all different things just that we can get just in our devices and at home. We could read the Bible. We can listen to the Bible. We can do devotions on the YouVersion Bible app. 
Basically, what it comes down to is if you don't know God's word, if you're not studying God's word, I hate to say it so harshly, you're just lazy. You're lazy, okay? And I don't think that's a good character trait of a worker. Any of you hiring somebody for a job? Hey, first prerequisite is I want this person to be lazy. I am looking for a lazy worker because I think that they would do the worst job and that would be great. No, as a believer, we should never be lazy when it comes to God's word. Think of all the things that you do in your day, all the things that you do, all the time that you spend on things, all the TV shows that you binge watch, all the social media that you surf, all the things that you do that have nothing to do with learning about God and his word. I'm not trying to shame anybody, but I just want to let you know, laziness is not an attractive quality in anyone especially in a believer that should be working for the Lord. So not only will we learn more about him, we'll learn more about ourselves. When we study God's word, we learn about God, but we also learn about ourselves. We learn how to deal with the things that we're going through. We learn how to deal with the people around us. God's word equips us with everything that we need to deal with everything that comes our way. Do you get that? It equips us with everything we need. Paul says that to Timothy. He says, hey, to be thoroughly equipped, get into the word. So next, our role and work is to preach Jesus. It says this in this passage, Jesus himself being the cornerstone. I talk about this all the time, but the main cause of the Christian should be getting the gospel message out. There are so many causes that you can get involved in, and some of them are very good, and you should support those causes. But you know what? If you're a Christian and you're waving any flag besides Jesus, you're waving the wrong flag. Okay? As a believer, our main point should be getting the message out. I mean, think about this. If you had one moment with a person who was on their deathbed, what would you tell them about? Would you tell them about politics? Would you tell them about your freedom? Would you tell them, what would you tell them about? What would you tell them about? If you had one moment, if you say anything other than the gospel message, you miss the whole point of being on this earth. I could tell you that much. So as a believer, we need to preach Jesus. The main work of the Christian how we act, what we do, what we say should point people to the Savior. Our dying words should be pointing people to the Savior. Finally, our role and work is unity with fellow believers. See, now as believers, unity is so important. Unity is so important. This does not mean we have to agree on everything, but it does mean we have to agree on the main thing. The very thing that brought us together, the gospel message. And when we're unified, we can accomplish the work of God. You know, I talked about this a lot last week. Obviously, we're still in Ephesians chapter 2. This is the work of God, getting the message out to other people. What's more important than getting the message out to other people? Getting the gospel message out. Why? Because the gospel is the power that saves people's souls. 